0: The scene is Jerusalem, ten days after Jesus' ascension back into heaven. The disciples were gathered together in a small room. They had just chosen Matthias to replace Judas as the twelfth disciple, but they were unsure of what to do after that. And so they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And then, all of a sudden, bam! A rush of violent wind blew through the house and bam, the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised them falls upon them and tongues of fire ignite over their heads and they begin to speak in languages that they do not know. They pour out from that room into the street as people from all different walks of life and parts of the world walk by and hear in their own language the gospel of Jesus Christ. As they come closer and listen longer, they hear the stories about this man called Jesus. The scripture says that the crowds were bewildered. They wondered, how can these country hicks from Galilee be speaking all of these languages? The only explanation that they could come up with was that they must be drunk, even though it was only nine o'clock in the morning. When I was a teenager, I attended a Pentecostal church for a brief time, a few years. And when I first started going there, I have to confess that I had the same reaction to them as the people in Jerusalem had to the disciples. Well, I didn't think they were drunk. It was 9 o'clock in the morning there, after all, as well. But I was suspicious. See, Pentecostal churches draw their name from this day of Pentecost, And they really emphasize in their spirituality and their worship, the presence and the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. During the services, people would get all worked up with a great fervor. The otherwise mild-mannered pastor would get red in the face and shout and cry as he preached. There were spontaneous shouts of amen and hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. People clapped and waved their hands, spoke in tongues, occasionally danced around in the aisles. It was pretty overwhelming for somebody who grew up as a Lutheran. In my childhood church, the most wild and exciting thing we did in worship was share the peace. And I wondered to myself, what in the world could cause such a rowdy scene, and in a church no less? And the answer, they said, was the Holy Spirit. Now Lutherans tend to be a more reserved group. Uh, And that tends to be both a product of our ethnic heritage, long lines of serious and subdued Germans and Scandinavians, uh, but also, I think, a product of our theology, and in this case, our understanding of the Holy Spirit. You see, for the Pentecostals, all that fervor, the yelling and clapping and dancing and turning red in the face were all seen as evidence or proof that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The more worked up that you got, the more spiritual gifts you demonstrated, the more you were thought to possess the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God. And so while I don't doubt their intentions and love those people dearly, uh, nor do I doubt the Holy Spirit was in that place, there is always a certain human element to any religious practice. And I think in part people wanted to prove to themselves and perhaps to others that they too Had the gift of the Spirit. In this tradition, speaking in tongues, you know, sort of a glossolalia, divine gibberish, was considered evidence that you had received the Holy Spirit, uh, in a sense like the day of Pentecost, all these languages being spoken. And so I remember one time while I was there, I was about 19 years old, and I was kneeling at the altar rail, and there were a few people who were laying hands on my head and praying fervently that I would speak in tongues. Uh, They were praying and praying and praying. And I was kneeling there with my head down in my my Lutheran way. And I just thought to myself, guys, this is not happening. (laughs) It's probably one of the turning points uh, that brought me back to the Lutheran church. I do much better in English than tongues. Uh, You know, for Lutherans... By contrast, the the only proof that we require the presence of the Holy Spirit really is someone's life in the waters of baptism. Uh, For we believe that in baptism we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's living presence in us and in the world. And that's God's promise to us in baptism, that nothing can ever change that. No matter how much or how little faith you feel that you have, no matter how much we ignore or shut out God, the Holy Spirit is always there. That's God's promise. We don't have to go around and prove it. We don't have to make it happen. In the baptismal life, the Holy Spirit comes standard. Just the fact that you are here this morning is a work of the Holy Spirit. In the small catechism, Martin Luther explains the Third part of the Apostles' Creed about the Holy Spirit in this way. He says, I believe that by my own understanding or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but instead the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, made me holy, and kept me in the true faith. Luther once wrote that this is the most important part of the Apostles' Creed. More important than the part about God the Father, more important than the part about Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. For it is the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus, that helps us to know and believe and to love Him. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us our faith as a gift. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to do good things in the world when we remember to say grace over a meal, when we roll out of bed and come to church, when we reach out to a neighbor, welcome a stranger, when we obey traffic lights and signs, which I know in Philadelphia is hard to do, when we care for family and friends, aging parents, spouses, young children, when we send a card or a text message to someone that's hurting, that is all the work of the Holy Spirit and that is all the evidence that you need that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. For as Luther said, we can do nothing good, nothing good, apart from the work of the Spirit. In short, if it's good, it comes from God. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Romans. He says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And although we don't pray as we should, and we often forget to pray altogether, the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. When we run from God, the Spirit draws us back. When we find it hard to believe, the Spirit helps our unbelief. When we are confused, the Spirit guides us into truth. It is our constant guide and companion, our advocate, our helper, our inspiration. The Holy Spirit enables and enlivens our faith. The fact is that we and every church are Pentecostal churches, uh, but we are Pentecostal with a very modest, very small We believe in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe that moment by moment, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens us, each of us individually and as a community, and it unites us in our diverse ways of thinking and speaking and believing. It gives us a variety of gifts and the will to use them for the good of the world. And if that means we go crazy here at the Lutheran Church and clap our hands, or hug and spend a little longer on the peace, well, then so be it. The day of Pentecost, this day of Pentecost, is the day of the Spirit, and it is the birth of the church. And it's fitting that Peter today has the final say, just as he did to the people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. This is what Peter says about the Spirit and about this day. Dear friends, We are not drunk as you say. This is the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that the prophet Joel promised would come upon us. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my servants, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Amen.